Here at America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program, heard on listener-sponsored digital radio, around the world, the web, and AlchemSegal.com, and the AlchemSegal Network, and of course on the beloved NSN app. Mark Gerson is with us live via telephone. The brand new book is entitled The Telling, How Judaism's Essential Book Reveals the Meaning of Life. And the book he's referring to is the Haggadah Shal Pesach. Uh, Mark Gerson is co-founder of the Gerson Lerman Group and has been the uh, founder and or seed investor in companies in a variety of industries. As far as this audience is concerned, you will be most impressed with the fact that he is co-founder and chairman of United Hatzalah, the crowdsourced system of volunteer first response that enables Israelis to be treated within the moments separating life from death following any medical trauma. He's also co-founder and chair of the African Mission Healthcare enabling Christian medical missionaries to provide clinical care, training, and medical infrastructure for people throughout Africa. Mark Gerson, a pleasure to welcome you to JM in the AM. It is such a pleasure and honor to be here, Malcolm. Thank you. Uh, I mean, you ever consider how many lives you're responsible for saving? I know. I know it's the men and women of United Hatzalah who get the credit, and I'm sure you'll be the first one <laughs> to deflect it in their direction. But but you know you sit around uh, on a on a uh, lazy afternoon and start thinking about the effect that this organization has had on the uh, on the families of Israel. It's just uh, it's just amazing. Well, th- thank you so much. And I mean, Ellie Beer has really created a life saving machine. And at United Hatzalah, we have the discipline of knowing just how much it costs to save a life. Because when we ask donors to contribute to United Hatzalah, we want them to know just how effective their investment is. And Ellie Beer's machine, that is United Hatzalah, it costs right now less than $500 to save a life. Unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, and that's because we do about, United Hatzalah does about 1,900 calls a day, and its budget's a little over $20 million. And we save about 10, 10, about 10% of the people that United Hatzalah treats are absolute saves. The United Hatzalah intervention is the difference between life and death. Right. And that's not even including all else United Hatzalah does, from helping uh, pregnant women when they have a child early, to helping people who've been in accidents but aren't going to die, to all the coronavirus treatments, to the humanitarian work we do. I mean, it's just been a such a blessing to be involved with Ellie for now over 15 years. Yeah, United Hatzalah must have had a very, very complicated year over the last year when you toss in all those uh, COVID cases that they no doubt were dealing with. Yeah, I mean, the, the volunteers uh, really in March just kind of um, immediately uh, trans- transitioned from uh, a lot of what they were doing. As accidents declined in March, they became the first response for coronavirus. And the heroism of the volunteers uh, was just uh, manifest all the time and consistently inspiring and how these volunteers would just rush into anyone's home to wherever anyone was knowing that they the victim may have had or definitely had coronavirus and the volunteers just went in there and risked themselves uh, in order to help their fellow Israelis in need, which is what they do all day, every day, in response to everything. Co-founder suggests you were there from the beginning. We've heard the story from Ellie in terms of uh, why he was motivated to start it. Were you, in fact, by his side from day one? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I remember meeting Ellie probably, uh, oh, must be 18 years ago now. And uh, Ellie uh, showed me a prototype of an ambicycle, a medically equipped motorcycle, and, and described to me how People all day, every day, uh, die waiting in the 10 minutes it takes for an ambulance to arrive following an emergency. And 
being a New Yorker, it made intuitive sense to me because we've all heard sirens and seen ambulances and traffic and can easily imagine a victim at the other end and not being treated in time, particularly if we imagine that victim choking or bleeding or having a stroke or a heart attack. So I said, I bought the first ambulance on the spot. I said, I'm in. And it's been uh, basically um, a lifelong friendship and partnership um, ever since. And it's been the really the honor of a lifetime to be able to build this with Ellie. And, um, I and I know your listeners have been so generous, and it is so important. You know, getting back to your earlier question, it is the donations we get from me and from others are so important. I mean, Ellie and the other volunteers always say that if it weren't for the donors, we'd be working with Band-Aids. <laughs> Good point. I wonder how many Ambu cycles are actually on the streets of Israel now. You purchased the first one, but, I mean, yeah. it, it, it's got it's got to be in the hundreds, I would guess, if not more at this point. I mean, it has to be. Yeah, it, it, it's in the high hundreds, low thousands. Yeah. Um, and yes, this audience has been pretty generous. This audience has responded, and this audience is based, I mean, we have a lot of listeners in Israel, obviously, but it's based, obviously, in the New York, New Jersey area. And people have uh, always opened up to the uh, United Hatzalah cause. It's it's an amazing feeling that from thousands of miles away, uh, one can help actually save lives of those who live in Israel. So yeah, it's it's one of those, uh, it's one of those um, uh, um, uh, uh, charities that people really feel keep them connected to Israel. And Mr. Gerson, I have a feeling you like charities like that, that keep us connected to the Holy Land. Absolutely. And, and you know, we we're talking about the Haggadah, and the Haggadah, it says next year in the land of Israel. Right. And what I'd like to tell people is you can be in the land of Israel next year by making a donation to United Hatzalah, because an ambicycle that you help to support will be on the streets. People will be saved in the land of Israel because of your generosity if you donate to United Hatzalah. So... Absolutely. I mean, it's a great feeling of Jewish unity, of Jewish fellowship, to be able to support these sacred volunteers who are giving up everything, who are risking everything to save the lives of their neighbors in need. And we in New York and throughout the United States and throughout the rest of the world can be their indispensable partners in their life-saving mission. Mark Gerson is with us live via telephone. The book is entitled The Telling, How Judaism's Essential Book reveals the meaning of life. Essential book, in this case, is a reference to the Haggadah. Uh, Mark Gerson, why'd you write the book? Because the Haggadah is is perhaps the greatest book word for word ever written. The Haggadah, which we go through every Passover, sometimes too fast, is really the greatest <laughs> hits of Jewish thought, full of Torah wisdom for us to live happier, better, and more meaningful lives in the year to come. It's also the most interesting book ever written. It makes the Passover Seder as instructive and as fascinating and as memorable as it should be. And so I wrote the book to help show people what actually is in this treasure that will be in our hands on March 27th and 28th. And do you mean the um, uh, do you mean exclusively the biblical references that are in the Haggadah or do you mean the rituals as well that we uh, undertake during the Seder ceremony? So the book goes through um, all of it, but it concentrates on the Magid section, which of course is the biblically mandated section of the Haggadah. And so um, I go through the passages of the Haggadah that are familiar to everybody and show how they are deeply profound and really help us in the most practical ways to live better and happier, more meaningful lives, exactly as consistent with the Torah. And uh, it's just, there's a, every line in the Haggadah, even perhaps especially the parts that we're so familiar with, there's just gems. It's all treasures. And all we have to do is pick up the book know how to read it, and start the discussions that these passages are meant to inspire, and we can live better, happier, and more fulfilled Jewish lives. 
Um, well, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions about some of the highlights of Magid, if you don't mind, because uh, that'll give us a perspective of, of your approach. Uh, first of all, before I even do that, do you have a word of advice for those? You, know, you alluded to the fact that sometimes we go th- through the Haggadah too quickly. It seems like right. Magid is the area where people want to go the quickest. So do you, do you have any practical advice for those who don't mind the um, expansive, uh, I don't know, Shulchan Aruch or Hallel sections, but sometimes hesitate to lengthen their Magid uh, uh, portion? Well, I would say that Magid is a biblically mandated portion. So when Moses envisioned the Seder, which he did in Exodus 12 and 13, it's the Magid section. And so... That's the section that really should inspire us to do serious investigation, to have great discussions, to ask incredible questions, all of which are laid right up in the Haggadah. We just have to know how to read it. And these, these passages in the Megid, I mean, every single one of them could constitute the most interesting evening of the Jewish year. So because we actually can't do every single one of them with justice, uh, the Haggadah is a book that is actually not meant to be finished. You can't finish it in a lifetime, let alone right. one night. I would encourage people to identify two, three, five passages in Magid that would be especially resonant for their audiences at their Seder, and to try to call out the deep Jewish wisdom that's so interesting and so within each one, and make that the topic of a conversation at the Seder for this year. All right, just to make it clear, we did not discuss any of this in advance, but obviously I'm going to cite some of the highlights of Magid to ask you about. Uh, We know about the four sons. Um, Many people have, uh, over the years, spoken at the Seder of many different approaches to how we view the four sons that are portrayed in the Seder. Do you have a unique approach to those four individuals? Yeah, I mean, it's one of the many incredible uh, parts of the the Haggadah. And uh, so the first question I ask is, why are there four sons? Now, of course, four is a very important number in Judaism. It's a Jewish number of completion. But I believe the real reason why there are four sons is because the night is too short for there to be 400 million sons. What the Haggadah is teaching us is that we are all created in God's image. God is quintessentially unique, and therefore each of us is unique. And therefore, as Jewish parents and Jewish educators, every parent is a Jewish educator, we have to identify and respect and teach to the sacred uniqueness that is in each child. And we have to realize that each person, each child, experiences God in a unique way, and that we have to welcome that and to acknowledge that as Jewish educators, as Jewish parents, we have to open up the gates of our faith to people who approach it in all kinds of ways, whether it's a wise son or a son who doesn't know how to ask. And it just teaches us that profound lesson about Jewish education. Wow, phenomenal. Uh, the Ten Plagues, another very important biblical reference in the Magid section of the Haggadah. You actually ask in a chapter heading the question, why any plagues? Uh, what, right. could, what could you tell us about the need for God to have utilized plagues against Egypt? Well, I would say we can ask any five-year-old at a Seder, if you're God and your goal was only to free the Jews, what technique would you, would you have used? And the five-year-old might answer, I would have used a magic carpet, I would have used a giant water slide from Egypt into the Promised Land. Right. But instead, God chooses the plagues, because what God is doing is he's not only trying to free the Jews, He's also trying to educate the world, that he is the one true God. And if we read the plagues, as is prescribed in the Exodus text, we can see how God is announcing himself, how God is describing himself, and how God is, in fact, educating the world about the truth of ethical monotheism, in addition to freeing the Jews. Very cool. You ask a question about 
and, and if I, I hope I have this right, again, the book is not in front of me because Mazal Tov to you. It literally comes out today, but I have been sent a lot of great notes, a lot of great notes about it. Uh, and we should mention, by the way, it's uh, available on Amazon. And, and these days, I don't know if you have to mention anything else, right? <laughs> it's, no, that's, that's great. <laughs> so people can check it out. It's called The Telling, How Judaism's Essential Book Reveals the Meaning of Life. Mark Gerson, the author, is with us. You ask a question that I never really considered, and I hope I understand this correctly. Again, because I'm doing this off of a heading and not the book itself. But are you asking why people like Moses and Joseph, Yosef, are not mentioned much, if at all, in the Haggadah? Yeah, they're not mentioned at all in the Haggadah. I mean, Moses is not mentioned, Joseph's not mem- mentioned, and the great women of the Exodus, Shifra and Pua and uh, uh, Miriam and the Pharaoh's daughter, they're not mentioned in the Haggadah either, which, which is really interesting. It's one of the many parts of the Haggadah which is so interesting, because if you were to give your child an assignment, expl- tell me the story of the Exodus, and you can't mention Moses, you can't mention Joseph, and you can't mention any of the, the, uh, those heroic women in the early Exodus— the child would not know how to do it. It would actually be, it might be technically impossible, yet in the Haggadah, our, our sacred text of telling the story of the Exodus, we don't mention them. So that leads to the question as to why are they excluded? And I believe the reason is the, Haggadah, the authors of the Haggadah are instructing us in a profound lesson, that when it comes to education, this is a task that can't be outsourced. We have to educate our children. The Haggadah is a great guidebook but what we have to do with the Seder is we have to discuss the women of the Exodus. We have to discuss Moses. We have to discuss Joseph. That there's no guidebook that can do our job for us. The Haggadah is the greatest guidebook ever written, but that's all it is. We have to educate our children, and in our Seders, we have to tell about Moses, Joseph, and lots of other people. And I knew this was going to happen. Of course, one of our listeners has already uh, mentioned that there is one reference to Moshe, to Moses, and that is the, uh, uh, the quote from the Bible but that's it. I mean, that, that's your point exactly. I mean, that's the exception that proves the rule. Uh, that, exactly, uh, and that's not in the Magid section. That's later, yeah. And, oh, is and it? So, and, but, but if we're going to tell the story of the Exodus in its fullness, Moses has to be all over the story. Moses is the hero of the story. Moses is the protagonist of the story. And it's up to each of us participants in the Seder to educate our children about Moses, to learn the story, and to use the Haggadah as a guidebook for when we tell the story. And I also talk about the... Um, the four questions. Now, one of the many interesting things about the four questions is they're supposed to arouse the interest of the children. Right. But how many children, or how many of us have been to Seders where a child has leapt out of her chair and said, oh my God, we're dipping twice, tell me the story of the Exodus. <laughs> That's a good one. Go ahead, yeah. I don't think it's ever happened. And, and it's not like kids these days, because if you look at the great rabbis in ancient history, they all had a different, I don't know about they all, but many of them had a different technique, whether it was toasted grains or something like popcorn. Because I think it's an instruction to us. It says that when you want to educate your children, generic instruction doesn't work. We have to recognize and identify the sacred uniqueness that is within each child at the Seder or in whatever platform there is, and we have to teach to him or her. It's what King Solomon said. Educate each child according to his way. By the way, what you just said is an amazing endorsement, I, I, if I understand you correctly. It's an amazing endorsement for all those modern accoutrements that people have created to keep the Seder interesting for kids, whether it be exactly. whether it be uh, you know the maca, the, the plague puppets, or, or the plague toys that people now use in the middle of their table during the middle of Magid, or any of the other you know acute little things that that are the modern day version of what you just described. I mean, I I, I think uh, exactly right. I think when it comes to the uh, um, the four questions, um, we should all think about. 
what is unique about the child in front of us and ask that child a question. And so one thing our family does is when we, when we want our children to say, why is this night different from all other nights, we know they're not, it's not going to be about what kind of vegetables they're eating. Right. When a child asks a good question, we throw a marshmallow at them. <laughs> that's, that's... And, but, but I think every family should think of something different like that to make this night as memorable as it can be and as memorable as God wants it to be for all of us and all of our health. Right. It, and, it, and that's just whatever we think would arouse the interest of the particular children we're at our Seder. Right. In some families, uh, any kid who asks too many questions might be exiled to the bedroom. But uh, <laughs> for those for those who want to get the meal over with. Uh, but yes, what you're saying is 100 percent accurate. Uh, those out there that are able to keep their children engaged and are able to make the Seder more exciting and educational, you are accomplishing a great deal on Seder night. The book is entitled The Telling, How Judaism's Essential Book Reveals the Meaning of Life. Mark Gerson is with us live via telephone. Now, I was told about you. Um, that your your Shabbos and Yuntif table in general is pretty full. Are you, I, I don't know what happened last year because we know that the COVID was really rampant in April of 2020. But are you anticipating a bit of a larger Seder table this time around? Uh, you know, at, at, at last year's Seder um, to show how how ignorant I was, I, I said, okay, obviously this is, this is so sad, we can't do the kinds of seders that we should do. And we really, and when I say should do, I mean it, because I discussed in the book how the Jewish people comes together around the seder because one family had to invite another family to fulfill our obligation to have no leftovers on the lamb. Right. So we couldn't have a big seder last year. But I said, we are going to have a big Pesach Shani. I said, this year's seder is going to teach us what Pesach Shani is about, and uh, Little did I know that a year later, we still would not be really having the large seders, which we should have. Will it be a, um, will it be a drop larger than last year, or basically the same? Uh, it, might, it might be a little larger than last year, but it, it won't be fundamentally different. I mean, you know, usually a seder should have dozens of people. It should be multiple households joining, right? Exactly as the biblical text says. Uh, but um, so you have a Ellie Beer last year. He he had he had a Pesach Shani because Ellie Beer during Pesach last year he was intubated. He was out. And, and I uh, I remember he actually yeah. observed Pesach Shani with a seder in his home in Israel. Yeah, as soon as he got out, as soon as he got out of, um, as soon as he was extubated, I uh, I called him and I said, um, "You're going to have a real Pesach Shani." Right. And and uh, and he and he did. Boy, that must have been a harrowing experience watching your friend go through all of that. Oh, it, it really was. And just um, thank God for uh, Dr. Jill Sandberg, who was Ellie's uh, guardian angel um, in Miami. And thank God for the incredible professionals at the University of Miami Hospital, which treated him so well. And, and now we know from the from the half a million people that have gone through it, we, we know just how common it was to lose one's life in an episode like that. It was a, it was a really miraculous that he was able to recover. Thank God. Oh, you are so right. I mean, we actually now know his chances of survival and were in the single digits. Oh my gosh! We had no idea about this when he was intubated, um, but but now we know because he was actually intubated twice um, within that twenty day period, and uh, his odds of survival were around four to five percent. Unbelievable! When he said goodbye to his family, it was not just a uh, a, a a dramatic episode; it was reality for him and his family. Unbelievable! Thank God he got to say hello to them uh, a few weeks later. Uh, Mark Gerson is with us. As we mentioned, he is the co-founder of United Hatzalah. Yes, that United Hatzalah in Israel. Uh, what a distinction that is. He's also author of the book, The Telling, which just came out today, and we wish him a mazel tov on that, how Judaism's essential book reveals the meaning of life. It's available at Amazon and no doubt in other locations 
as well. And 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 finally, Mark, based on what you just said before, you you're probably you're probably thrilled in all seriousness when when a hundred or two hundred or three hundred people gather together for a seder, especially people who might be single or elderly and don't get an opportunity to spend the seder with other people. But when whether it's Chabad or any other organization, you know, puts together a a real community seder for you, that's not just taking care of people that have you know nowhere else to go. For you, that's the real Pesach experience where 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 Jews expanded uh, the the capacity of their seder in order to feed everybody and to make sure that that carbon Pesach was completed. Absolutely. I mean, the, the Bible tells us that, that the Pesach must be enjoyed by, quote, the whole community of Israel. Right. And so it, it, it's obligatory upon all of us to ensure that all of the rest of us can enjoy a full Pesach, because it is, it is the best night of the Jewish year. It is the greatest holiday ever invented. It is our spring festival, and the whole community of Israel should enjoy it in this great spirit of spring in the new year that it is, and uh, and you're absolutely right. It, it's incumbent upon each Jew to ensure that every other Jew gets to have the full Pesach experience. I love your enthusiasm and your encouragement, frankly, because there are a lot of people, both male and female, listening right now who are in some ways dreading the next three weeks, dreading what Pesach preparations are going to entail in their own personal situation, whether it's you know shopping, cleaning, or you know a, com- a combination of both. Uh, would, would you say all of that about Erev Pesach as well? Would you say that people should enjoy the process over the next few weeks? Well, it, it, it's what I believe was Rod Soloveitchik who said that, um, that everything holy needs preparation. So, right. so the, and, and I have a chapter in the book on this where I, I said that when preparation is part of the event, so preparation is part of the Seder. That being said, one should not get lost in the details and lose the picture that there is sacred meaning to the preparation, particularly when, when, when we, the night before, when we cleanse the Hamates from our home, that should be a, a, a moment of divine seriousness when what, what we're doing is we are saying for the coming week we are removing all impermanence from our home and we are going to focus on what do we want permanently in our lives that's what we're doing when we're removing the hamesh from our home and we when we do it with with the brush and the pan and the candle this should be a great moment for the family to really commit ourselves to focusing on who do we want to be in the coming year and then how do i get to be that kind of person and that's really when the seder experience begins can't thank you enough. A real pleasure speaking to you. Mazel tov on the book and uh, continued success. You and Ellie Beer together with United Hatzalah. A real pleasure to speak to you this morning. Thank you so much. Me too. God bless. Mark Gerson is author of The Telling, how Judaism's essential book reveals the meaning of life. Available on Amazon, literally out today. And therefore, we wish him a very big Mazel tov. And of course, a Chag Kasher Vesameach. Tuesday morning broadcast at JM in the AM.